Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit Bet Online today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. I want to hear cannons. go again. Tempo mode. Dropping the throw. Winston out. They got those to the left. That's intercepted at the 35. Outside the numbers to the 40. To the 35. To the 30. To the 25. To the 20. To the 15. Mike Edwards. Touchdown Tampa Bay. That's the dagger, my friend. This is the big nasty. Yeah, big nasty. Hall of Fame. Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstock, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening. You're missing out. Woo! And there the cannons go. Cannons. Fire them. Keep yeah. on firing them. Keep on firing them. Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me today. Great friend of the show. Pleasure to have you back on for another week in a row to get your analysis on this three and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Former Bucks quarterback, Sean King. No Evan Wanish today. Uh, as you guys heard on the last podcast, he was suspended at the end of the show. We don't really have to get into that, but uh, just know his behavior was completely unacceptable. So let's dive into this thing. The Buccaneers have had a bit of a mini bye week, obviously. Still have the rest of the week as it's only Tuesday on the recording of this podcast. But today is also the final day of the trade deadline in the NFL. So 4 p.m. today, teams will uh, not be able to make any more moves. We've seen a couple of NFC North teams make some moves. Chase Claypool traded from the Steelers to the Bears. TJ Hawkinson going from the Lions to uh, the Vikings, excuse me. But as for Tampa Bay, not as much action as much people would have hoped for. There have been a few acquisitions. We'll open it up and talk about those. The Bucks signed a familiar face to the wide receiver room. Tyler Johnson is back from the Houston Texans squad. Bucks signed him to the practice squad. They also re-signed special teams legend. We got to give this man his roses. Cornerback Ryan Smith. I'm more excited about that, but I wanted to get your thoughts, Sean, on uh, Tyler Johnson. You know, like I said, not exactly the move that a lot of Bucks fans were hoping for, but it also doesn't have to be. But when you look at these two moves, Tyler Johnson and uh, Ryan Smith coming back, does this move the needle at all for this Bucks team? Well, I think in their personal individual lives, it does. You go from being unemployed to uh, having a job. So that's an exciting phone call to get from your agent. Um, as far as the bigger picture and the team, you know, oriented goals, I mean, this this a depth move, you know. It's not like something that's going to impact the on the field outcome, at least not on the surface. Now, you know, with the way the the injuries have you know kind of been prevalent across the NFL, we may look up and you know one of these young men is in the game and they'll have an opportunity to make a play. We'll see, but this doesn't change the narrative as far as where the Bucks currently sit 
in the 2022 season. Yeah, with a three and five record, people are going to want to, you know, try and break things down and look at what went wrong with this team. And when you highlight the wide receiver position, it isn't like there's a lack of talent there. You know, you've got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin has been healthy. Julio Jones is coming back from the mend, but he should be contributing. Russell Gage, obviously still in there to some degree. So it's not like you needed that position to get drastically better. I think one of the biggest problems with this Bucks team so far this year is just execution issues. I mean, you know, play calling, setting up your guys on offense to be in the best position to succeed. And I don't think they've done that so far this season, but I mean, for a lot of people, I think Tyler Johnson back at a depth position, it's going to make some fans happy. Well, it gives you something to talk about that could potentially be positive. Um, depending on how you look at failure, you know, I look at failure as an opportunity, you know, to fix, you know, to correct, you know, to rectify, you know, to create positive change moving forward. So, you know, when I look at the Bucks receiver room, and I've said this since, you know, our initial, you know, relationship began, you know, here on the Cannon Fire podcast was, and this is before the season started, they have big names, but they don't have a lot of big play ability at this point in their careers. I mean, it's a, Mike Evans is going to be a pro board. I mean, not a pro, but he's going to be a Hall of Fame. No, without question, I mean, I mean, never not had a thousand yard season, but this isn't Mike Evans in year three. Chris Godwin, two major surgeries he's coming off. Of. Julio Jones has kind of been on a retirement tour for the last two and a half years, you know. Um, Russell Gage, you know, he's kind of the odd man out and then he's trying to, where do I even fit in all of this? Like, where can I you know, get consistent touches, you know. So that's the thing. Like, they have size. Um, they have significant, you know, leverage from a resume standpoint. But in the actual 2022 season, they don't have a whole lot of run-after-the-catch type of talent at the wide receiver position. And I think what you're seeing around the National Football League is it's hard to win like that. You know, to me, it's one of the biggest issues that the Indianapolis Colts are facing. Michael Pittman, not a run-after-the-catch guy. Alec Pierce, more of a movement tight end, is playing receiver. Like, where are, where is their T.Y. Hilton? You know, where is their guy that can get vertical behind the defense or, you know, take a, a 10-yard play and turn it into 19 consistent? You know, like, the teams that are explosive this year in the NFL have that kind of skill set at the uh, skill positions. And, you know, Tampa doesn't. And it's not an excuse you know, the truth doesn't have emotions. It's just the truth. And so, you know, they have to be more efficient, which gets back to your point of, you know, the execution issues, especially in critical downs. So, you know, again, failure is an opportunity to fix. So we'll see. They got a couple extra days, you know, to maybe try out some, some new things or maybe a little more time to prioritize, you know, some fundamentals that aren't consistently being demonstrated. And uh, on the defensive side, hell, it's just about effort. I know we're going to get into it, but, I mean, the film don't lie, you know. It is what it is, you know. To whom much is given, much is required, right? When people start elevating you in the conversations about where you currently reside at your position in this league, uh, on your side of the ball in this league, uh, over different eras, periods, you know, all-time type conversations. I mean, the magnifying glass and the microscope becomes a lot more uh, focused 
mm-hmm. on you and who are you when no one's watching? And I think, you know, this kind of goes in line. And unfortunately, I hate that I'm actually feeling like I kind of forecasted some of this. Remember I said they got a lot of rich guys that got titles. And yeah. it's hard to motivate and be self-motivated, you know, when you're really comfortable. And And another thing, too, that – We've talked about quite a few times up until this point in the season, even three, four weeks ago, we were talking about it when the Bucks were, you know, under 500 or I'm sorry, above 500 with their season record, even at a two and one record. We talked about the topic of this Tampa Bay team in particular, maybe some of the guys on the defense being victims of their own success. You know, you spoke to the spotlight that the Bucks have been in with Tom Brady at your quarterback, and they have absolutely dominated the news cycle Winning a Super Bowl is going to help you do that. But with that territory comes all these stories about how, oh, this Bucks defense, these Bucks linebackers, people looking at Devin White in particular, calling him one of the best linebackers in the league. And also, I mean, for a guy who's already got a big ego, he starts the season by winning NFC Defensive Player of the Month. And since then, it's been downhill. But someone who was more than critical of Devin White this week was former Tampa Bay Buccaneers D-tackle, a teammate of yours, Warren Sapp. Um, I mean, he, he spared no dignity when breaking down the tape of number 45. He said he should be absolutely ashamed of the effort he gave out there. And if he was, you know, in a position on this Buccaneers coaching staff, he'd be asking for that captain's patch because there's quite a few reps where 45 isn't quite putting in the work. And a lot of fans seem to agree. What's your take on Warren Sapp? Just uh, not holding back on D white there. Well, that's the only way you improve. And that's the only way you get better is for someone you know, that has a legitimate platform to call a spade a spade. And, you know, the great thing for Todd Bowles is what can Devin White say to Warren Sapp? You know, and Sean King could have said that, but it doesn't hold as much weight. I'm not in the Bucks ring of honor. I don't have a gold jacket. You know, even though I see and have said the same things, you know, when a Warren Sapp says it, you know, there's a different level of of impact because what are you going to you gonna argue with what SAP and that defense did? Like, uh, you don't want to get in a uh, let's push the play button with that group because you can't find loafs. They're running to the football. Like, they're playing with enthusiasm unknown to mankind, and that's the standard. But I said this, I think, a couple shows ago, Red. They didn't compete against the opponent. Like, they competed against being a better version of themselves. So that's why the presentation always looked top shelf. It always looked elite. And when I look at this Bucks team, I don't know, you know, where the real leadership is coming from. You know, you would think it comes from Tom, but Tom's got so much other stuff going on that somebody's got to fill that vacuum, that gap, you know. So as you're going down the roster – I mean, who is it? I, I mean, it just seems like a bunch of guys that individually are talented, but they're not really that concerned collectively with the results. And, and that's not a good space. You know, understanding the, the trade deadline is today at four. To me, now the question starts to become, at what point do we start looking at, okay, where are they going to be next year and so forth and so on? Because if you really are honest, the roster is built to be making a final Super Bowl run this year. Um, so, you know, a lot of money tied up in some guys. That I don't know if they're over, 
you know, the hill, but they're definitely not right at the top of it or, or about to ascend to the top of it. So, you know, Bucks got to ask themselves some hard questions. Uh, I, I do have trust in the Glazer family. I have trust in Jason Light. Uh, they've made the right decisions so far. But, you know, I think the next six months, you know, short-term and long-term are, are going to be pretty significant because, you know, even if you don't win the championship this year, this year the last thing you want to do is be back in the position you were in before Brady, post-Brady. Right. You know, you don't want it just to be this snapshot of two years of, of success and legitimacy, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're back in the, 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 the Houston Texan, Detroit Lion. You know, lifestyle. The den of despair, if you will. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to go back down there. Oh, yeah, not at all. And I I will say that accountability has been more than a hot topic of this Bucs team. And a couple of players that people point at that the Bucs don't have available this year, they moved on from JPP, who was a vocal part of that defensive line. I know 2021, we talked about him not really being a contributor in the grand scheme of things as far as, you know, what his – his stat card is going to show at the end of every game, but he was vocal. He was a fired up presence and he held people accountable. And Dominic Kinsu held people accountable. Ryan Jensen on the offensive line, even though he's on the bench every Sunday, he's not out there in the huddle. He's not keeping guys in check on the field like he usually is. So it's going to be up to a lot of other guys on this roster to step up and start to hold people accountable because I think a lot of people can see that they're just, there hasn't quite been enough of that. And when you've got Warren Sapp, you know, crying for a guy's captain's patch to be brought off. Like, he's holding him accountable, and not a lot of people have seemed to do that this year. But it's also up to those players to kind of keep themselves in check moving forward. Like, Devin White, I mean, it's easy to block out that noise, but he knows exactly what he has to do. Like, he's not oblivious to what people are saying. The problem is accountability has to come from within the locker room at that level. I mean, look around the league. I mean, everybody's dealing with issues. Robbie Anderson in Carolina, uh, Elijah Moore, who at the time with the Jets, I think, were five and two or five and one, and he requested like a trade. Like, Roquan Smith, a linebacker out of Chicago, just got traded. They had some problems before the season. Yeah. He was was vocal. He wanted to to get extended. Uh, Robert Quinn, I think, asked to be traded. Uh, The Chicago. Management, like I, they, I don't know what they're doing. If you're gonna trade those two guys, do it before the season. Yeah, you would so think. you get the so so you get a top two pick. Don't wait till you win three games. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't Listen, make any it, sense. But, it's the Bears, right, man. I, I mean, and, I and, right, and we're a Bucks podcast, but I only bring it up because it's everyone around the league is trying to find the right recipe for success, and. Uh, I think the Bucks right now, they, they've gotten, you know, very fortunate. You know, they made the right decisions. They also had a all-time great quarterback come available to kind of bring all of the other decisions together so that they manifested themselves in the championship. And, you know, now what's the plan moving forward? I'm not punting on the season. I'm simply saying, you know, sustainability has also got to be at the top of some of your decisions. You know, because uh, the moments don't last forever. The championships will. And if that's what you're really pursuing, then I would hope that we're active before the trade deadline because I just don't think if we stay put and the roster stays like it is, that we can make noise in the playoffs. Because of the division we're in, I think we probably could, you know, 
get a little streak going and maybe win the division. But, I mean, I don't like our chances uh, in a rematch versus Dallas. I don't like our chances versus Philly. You know, uh, with the way we're playing, you know, at times in our secondary and our inability to get guys on the ground on third down, I mean, I don't like us, you know, trying to tackle Dalvin Cook or Justin Jefferson or these guys, you know. So I think we got to get better. Yeah, I think there's a lot of areas where people could look at the Bucks and say they have to get better. And let's talk about the trade deadline really quickly as we are just a couple hours away. Like I said at the start of the show, as of this recording, the trade deadline is wrapping up. Doesn't look like we should expect any moves from Tampa Bay, but let me ask you, you know, something that head, uh, head coach Todd Bowles has mentioned, other people from the organization have echoed so far this season is that, quote, uh, the Bucks have their guys. They trust them. And as of right now, they're just waiting on them to be healthy and, and come back. There's a couple of areas, especially on the roster now, with like Shaq Barrett missing the rest of the season with the Achilles injury. You know, maybe the Bucks could have made a move to secure an extra pass rusher. But realistically, should the Bucs have made any moves? Or are they, you know, this roster is still good. Like, I, I think people seem to to get that twisted when you look at a 3-5 and five record on the surface. This is still a good Bucks roster. And when they're healthy, I still think they're one of the better rosters in the NFC, but should they have addressed any of the positions of need uh, edge rusher being one of them before the trade deadline today? Well, edge rusher was going to always be hard because of what teams were asking. Now it was brought to my attention that the Rams offered, I think a one and a two for Brian Burns. I think, I think multiple first, if I read it correctly. Right. And, and, and I mean, they, listen, they if I'm t- Carolina, I'm not giving up Brian Burns for anything less, to be honest with you. Right, and I'm not saying they should have. I'm just saying that's what it sounds like the market is for an, a young established pass rusher. If I'm not mistaken, the Eagles sent a second and a – what did they send to uh, Chicago for uh, for Robert Quinn? Let me look that up for you. Give me Maybe give it was me a, a fourth. Here. Maybe it was a fourth-round pick. And then Roquan went to the Ravens for a second. Mm-hmm. Because when you're talking about upgrade, and that's what we got to be looking at, what is the market? So for a young defensive end in his prime, Brian Burns, the, the multiple firsts. For an older guy coming off a legitimate season who probably still has in the right situation, you know, at least some great pass rushes when you need it most in high leverage situations like Robert Quinn, what was the compensation? It was a uh, between Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. It was a second rounder, a fourth rounder, and a fifth. And just some more breaking news: the Broncos traded outside linebacker Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins. That's a package that includes a first rounder. So not all the details are out, but there's also some pass rushers that are out there floating, you know, first round price tags. And these teams are ready to to go all in. I mean, the Eagles, you know, they're trading for pieces like Robert Quinn, and they're the only undefeated team left. And clearly, they don't feel like they're you know, quite where they want to be with the uh, the roster they have to compete? Well, they've shown since draft day that, you know, they're trying to win the championship this year. They traded for A.J. Brown, you know, even though they had uh, a lot of draft capital at receiver in Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager. Uh, they went out, traded for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson at the beginning of the year from the Saints. You know, now they come and get Robert Quinn. You know, they're pushing their chips to the front of the table. They see vulnerability. Uh, in Tampa, they see vulnerability in Green Bay. They feel like uh, they're better than Dallas. They know New York is winning, but the sustainability with how the Giants are winning isn't there. So they're like, 
I mean, let's go and try and get it. And uh, good position they're in. Most of their talent is young. Um, so we'll see. Does that inexperience uh, serve them well because of the passion it generates or does it lead to mistakes in high-pressure situations? Well, we'll find out. I mean, Bradley Chubb is a ball. Um, if you would have – and this is why they play the games, right? I mean – when Denver traded for Russell Wilson and mortgaged the whole future and then paid him almost $200 million, if you would have said they'd have been sellers at the trade deadline, uh, I mean, they basically are trying to hit reset. We can get one of the first back we gave up for Russell because um, Bradley Chubb is a baller. Now, him going to the Dolphins is a big deal. Oh yeah, uh, It elevates the Dolphins significantly because – what are you going to have to do at the end of a playoff game against Kansas City and Buffalo? You're going to have to rush the quarterback. Well, you're, you're going to need somebody to try and get Patrick Mahomes or Jared Allen on the ground. Well, I mean, and, Josh Allen. And we talk about the NFC, too. We'll transition here. Uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more here in a second as we talk about Tampa Bay. But all of the teams in the NFC right now that are playing well, what are they doing? They're running the ball well. And they're playing good defense. And the Bucs are really only doing half of that, uh, uh, you know, barely with this defense kind of falling apart at the end of games the way that it has. But, I mean, it, honestly, with the NFC being what it is, let me let me ask you this, and I guess this is a million-dollar question. This is what I've been wanting to ask for the entire podcast here, but the Bucs are 3-5. and five. Trade deadline has seemingly come and gone, and they haven't addressed any of the holes that they have. They believe in their guys. They're waiting on them to get healthy, and I still think they have a talented roster. But even in 2020, when everyone thought the Bucks had a very talented roster, they still went out, didn't feel satisfied at the wide receiver position, and they signed a guy like Antonio Brown. Now, a wide receiver isn't really what they need right now, especially with Tyler Johnson back. But with a 3-5 and five record, we are nine weeks into the season, and we know – okay, these teams are going to be good, this team's going to be bad, but the NFC in particular is kind of in a weird headspace right now. Are the Bucs who we think they are with a 3-5 and five record? You know, a lot of people look at the teams in the NFC, um, you know, middle-of-the-pack teams, that especially, like, NFC contenders from last year, the 49ers are 4-4, four and four, just made that trade for McCaffrey, and honestly, I think they have a roster that could potentially match up with Philly towards the end of the season if they keep playing well, but... The Rams are three and four. The Packers are three and five. The Falcons, who lead the NFC South, are four and four. I don't think they're going to maintain down the rest of the season. But people look at the Packers and they look at the Rams, the Niners at four and four, and they look at the Bucks at three and five and say, man, there still is this feeling that this team could turn it around. Do you get that feeling with Tampa Bay this year? You think they're going to figure it out or are, are they just, are they a three and five team and they're going to play like that for the rest of the year? Uh, yeah, well, you can be as critical as you want I'm, to. I'm, well, one thing about me, Red, I always tell you the truth doesn't have emotions. That's the truth. I've been telling the truth about the Bucks for years. Um, sometimes it, it puts me on the bad side of some people that are very important to the Bucks organization. And generally, at the end of the day, they are okay with my opinions because they know they don't come from a malicious origin. Uh, I am a lifelong Buck fan. I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida. My dad was a Baptist minister. I used to sneak out of church when the Bucks were on the road so that I could watch the games because none of the home games were televised locally because of the NFL blackout rules back in the day. So when you ask me that question, the fan in me uh, wants to be optimistic and say that, yes, 
uh, changes on the horizon. Uh, the other part of me that's played in the National Football League, that's coached in the National Football League and at high-level college in both, says it's hard to create passion in the middle of a season. And that's what worries me the most is I don't see that energy where the worst thing that could happen to me today is we lose this football game. I don't see that energy from their best players. Right. And I just don't know if there's a switch that you can hit midseason and all of a sudden that manifests itself. Now, people have talked about you know, the body language of this team, the energy of this team, or lack thereof, the lack of explosiveness on both sides of the ball, the lack of effort when we're looking at film of one of your defensive captains just kind of jogging to the play. I mean, there's a lot of things people can look at, but one of the things people talk about the most is just the general emotion or lack thereof of this football team. And I know that I'm pretty sure I asked you this question last week, but I'll follow up and I'll ask you again because I have another coaching question for you. But you know, right. how much of that falls on the head coach? How much of it falls on Todd Bowles and the rest of this staff having those guys ready to play? Because when you look back against Pittsburgh and Carolina with the roster the Bucks have, there's there's no way. I mean, I know any given Sunday in the NFL, it's a little cliche, but this year in particular, it seems to ring true. But looking back at those terrible losses the Bucks had, it seems like you can chalk it up to the team just not showing up ready to play. And I mean, that's 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 carried week in and week out. So how much of that is on on Todd Bowles in his first year as head coach here? He's got to shoulder some of the blame because it's an effort thing. Like uh, there are guys that watch the game with me and they swear that like they're having an out of body experience because it's like we're watching two different games. Like the stuff that I highlight, like they're not they would never see. And the thing about. Let's just, just take the play that, that SAP um, diagram because it's a visual component to, to an opinion that I have. Are the Bucks defenders in the right position to make that play? Their actions are what makes the other team successful in that situation. So when it's coaching, it means schematically we don't have our chess pieces in the right position to make the plays. That's a coaching issue. That means you're getting out-coached, out-schemed. Their run game is always going where they have leverage and better numbers, you know. Their pass schemes are, are finding the voids and the deficiencies in your coverages and you aren't making adjustments. The Bucks have an effort issue. Now, they just uh, – effort and a – I don't want to call it intelligence issue because I've seen these same players play with high football IQ. Attention to detail. They, they lack both of those things on a consistent basis where I'm really focused on the little things that pertains to me being successful on this play, like not letting the ball carrier get to the sideline, which is the cornerback's mistake. Levante David should be shooting at the inside hip. Those are attention to detail issues. Devin White basically being in his pre-snap alignment as the play went up the sideline. That's an effort issue. So the hard thing in the NFL is what what, what is Coach Bowles going to do? Is he going to bench Devin White? Hey, well, I, I mean, I, I know it is and, kind of – it, it is kind of a – sorry, I didn't mean to and, interrupt and, you. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine, Rhett, but, I mean, 
the head coach does meet with the ownership group, right, and Jason Light. And, you know, when you go to the Glaciers and you say, we think Devin White is worth this amount of money, and then you come back saying, you know, we've been writing these checks. Why isn't he playing? Yeah. You understand the predicament sometimes in, in these situations and relationships. So what you have to do is call Devin White into your office. And this is where the coaching does matter. What can trigger the old Devin White to reemerge? Mm-hmm. Some guys is yelling at him. Some guys it's highlighting publicly their uh, deficiencies currently. Some guys is talking to over lunch, dinner. Some guys it's, hey, man, we're about to go in a different direction. You know, it's threatening, uh, you know, being – I mean, you got to figure it out. It's hard at the NFL level because it's not like college where you got 85 guys and, you know, there are a bunch of guys just waiting on an opportunity. And right. You can just tell a kid, you ain't playing. Like, it's a little different because they're compensated, you know, with real dollars at that level. Yeah, and, and – you know, the easy answer for a lot of people who want to point the finger is bench Devin White, trade Devin White before the deadline today at 4 p.m., you know, it, teach him a lesson somehow. And when you look at what you're left with, yeah, from a football perspective, I don't know if Olakunte uh, Fadakazi is going to be the best decision to be your, your starting middle linebacker for the rest of the season. I don't know if that's going to work out, but to tie this all back into the accountability conversation, and I think you answered this question mostly here but a lot of people are going to look at you know how do you light a fire up under this defense and how do you hold guys accountable well let's look back at at 2019 and listen this isn't Bruce Arians team anymore but you want to talk about getting guys attention 2019 after a win against Arizona the next day on film comes out that Vernon Hargraves the third looks a particularly low effort on on one long play I think it was Andy Isabella, one of the wide receivers who got away at the time, and VH3 was just, I mean, was loafing out there. There's no argument against that. So BA cut his ass. Like he's one of your starting corners. He's he's one of your one of your three starting corners in 2019, and he was gone. He was out of here. Like I said, doing that with Devin White isn't quite as viable of an option because VH3 was was not good. All right. He was already on his way out. Yeah. He had already had multiple incidents before that. That was his last right. straw. We had that um, whole debacle, I think, back in training yeah. camp about whether or not he was going to be there. There was some issue there with communication. So it's not as easy with Devin White. But this is also a guy who thinks he's going to be worth $100 million. And I, I don't think he's played like a $100 million linebacker so far this year. It's, I mean, it's I don't care if a player gets paid or not. From the Bucks' perspective, clearly they're they're seeing the same thing a lot of us are. Yeah, and uh, I think the best thing in, a, in trust me, Todd Bowles, wasn't mad this happened was, you know, one of the guys that's in the ring of honor publicly illuminated something that doesn't take talent and that's effort. It doesn't take skill. It doesn't take this great genealogy. All it takes is desire. And if that doesn't motivate Dev to kind of at least play back at that frenzied level we're accustomed to, then listen, nothing else will. I'm just telling you, like, when you go to Raymond James, like, and you look up at top, you know, Sapp's name is there. So when those guys expose things that are controllable that you aren't doing to the public, that has to be an embarrassing, you know, situation because, you know, the one thing that you're not going to get once you get to a certain level of 
of compensation is be self-critical. Most guys aren't going to say, I'm wrong. I'm not doing this. Most guys are going to always push as much of the responsibility and blame to other areas that they can. Yeah, we shouldn't have been in that defense. Yeah, I keep getting these offensive linemen unobstructed up to me. When when Dominican Sue was in front of me, he covered it up. And I could like you're gonna always like most guys aren't gonna look in the mirror and say, you know what, I stink right now. I need to pick it up. So maybe that motivates, uh, encourages, brings about positive change. That's what I'm hoping for. So we'll see. You know, the one thing about this league, it's a tough league now, right? There are no easy games, man. I'm just like I mean, especially gotta, not this year. <laughs> yeah, you gotta especially show, not this you gotta year. Show it your A game. You gotta show with your A game every week or you get beat. So let's talk about the other side of the football here as we wrap up today's podcast. I got a pair of questions for you. We continue the coaching conversation as we talk about the OC, Byron Leftwich. And to be honest with you, I heard a lot of people saying over the weekend that uh, you know, if the Bucks are going to fire him, it would probably be Best to do it end of the day Monday. Here we are on Tuesday. Trade uh, trade deadline coming up. Doesn't seem like Byron's going to go anywhere at this point in the season, but there have been multiple sources. I don't know how true they are. Uh, Maybe you have a say-so in this as well, but there's been pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretty respectable sources so far this year saying that Byron Leftwich has been coaching for his job these last two weeks, especially against Baltimore on Thursday night. But let me ask you this. He's still here, probably still going to be the OC for the next few weeks as the Buccaneers have games against L.A. and Seattle, which will be in Germany. Does Byron Leftwich make it through the rest of the season? Because after the Germany game, the Bucs are going to have the bye week, and it seems like that is more of an area to do it uh, than, you know, the long break that they just recently had. So if we go out here the next two weeks and the offense can only put up a measly 24, 28 points in two games, is Byron Leftwich still going to be here coaching? And we cuss on these podcasts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I try not to cuss, but that's complete bull spit. And I want everybody that uh, is passionate about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to hear me clearly. How can a man go from being good enough to lead an offense to a Super Bowl, being good enough to lead an offense from within a defensive stop to overtime last year against the eventual Super Bowl champion, so all of a sudden, he's supposed to get fired midway through year three. This guy was offered the Jacksonville Jaguars head coaching job. Like sometimes, and I rush to create change, we blame the wrong people. Like Byron Leftwich, like coordinated Jameis Winston to what was it, 5,000 yards? And, yeah, yeah, 5,500 yards. Uh, yeah, come close on. Close to 40 man. touchdowns. Right, like, that's the same guy. Like, I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. And and I want you to tell anybody that loves the Bucks bull spit if they bring up that Byron Leftwich should be let go or that he's coaching for his job. That's ridiculous. I mean, there are not many coordinators who could endure the offseason that the Bucks had and come back and you think they're going to operate at the same level of production. Listen, they lost Rob Gronkowski. That's a significant loss. They have Chris Godwin coming off a major surgery. He's not the same guy right now that he was before the injury. He may get back to it, but right now he's not. You know, they lost all three interior offensive linemen. 
Like, this isn't the same Bucks team. As good as Leonard Fournette has been in the playoffs, Leonard showed up looking like me. <laughs> I mean, hell, he showed up looking like me, right? And so, I mean, sometimes he's good Leonard. Sometimes he's, I don't want to be out here Leonard. Like, the Bucks have multiple issues of which Byron Leftwich is none of them. Absolutely none of them. So, Anybody that says that to me, you just show your lack of true understanding about the game of football. Let me repeat that because a lot of people listen to this podcast. So if you're a person is questioning whether or not Byron Leftwich should be the offensive coordinator of the Bucks, you need to reevaluate and start relearning what you really think, know, and understand about this game of football. Jameis Winston hasn't come. I'm a big Jameis Winston fan. Jameis hasn't come close to the production he had with Leftwich as his coordinator. Not even close. Now, granted, he got injured in New Orleans, but now he's not injured, and they're still going with Andy Dalton. Uh, Tom Brady, under Leftwich in year one, when everybody was two years younger. Mike Evans, two years younger. Chris Godwin, two years younger. Rob Gronkowski, who's not even playing now, two years younger. That interior offensive line, all there, they won a Super Bowl. So, like, don't have a short-term memory when it comes to certain things. Listen, the Bucks have a myriad of issues. Uh, luckily for them, they've only played – what are they, three and four? Yeah, three and five. Three, they've only played eight games. They have nine games left. So as crazy as it may seem, you know, if they go six and three, seven and two, down the stretch, finish nine and eight, ten and seven, that's probably going to be good enough to win the division. And when you get in the playoffs, hey, we'll find we'll find out. You know, do they have one more run? But Byron Leftwich is not getting fired. Byron Leftwich shouldn't get fired. And I really wish people would just move on with their conversations to something else. Hey, at the end of the day, on the offensive side of the ball, I know we're going to have some listeners in the comments. I'm excited to read the uh, reaction to that take. We like takes like that on this show, man. But I'll tell you, on the offensive side of the ball, one thing that I think everyone can agree with uh, so far this year regarding Tampa Bay and Byron uh, Leftwich's offense is that they're not very good at running the ball. Um, the, the Bucs have tried to to be a team that runs the ball a little bit more. You just paid Leonard Fournette $7 million a year. You want him to be a little bit more of a bell cow back, not quite a Derrick Henry type because that's just not the offense they run. But it's been clear this year they're putting much more of an effort to try and stabilize this run game except for when they get behind in certain games. But the question has now become – you know, sample size matters, but Leonard Fournette had a hot start to the season. The offensive line played well against Dallas week one. They were able to run all over them, do whatever they want. Even week two against New Orleans seemed like the running back position, as far as the run offense goes, was a little bit better than it has been. Since then, it has dropped off dramatically. The Buccaneers are ranked 32 out of 32 with rushing offense in the league, and it's like historically bad, like worst running offense in the history of the NFL. They're averaging a little under 3.5 yards per attempt, which is not good. But the emergence of rookie running back Rashad White has also been talked about a whole lot these last few weeks, and we've seen him start to get more reps. Do you think, listen, people are starting to say he should be running back one. I don't quite agree with that take, but with Leonard not being as productive as they would like him to be, I know he's known for his production in the playoffs, and that's when you want him playing his best ball. But going forward, 
do you think we do see Rashad White work himself into this game plan a little bit more on offense? And do you think eventually he should be the running back one for this team? Because a lot of people think that's the case already. Well, if um, I have a show called VEASAN Primetime. You guys can download the VEASAN app, V-S-I-N, or you can watch it on YouTube television. VEASAN has its own channel there uh, from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, uh, Pacific time. And I just said that to say I had Rashad White as my number two running back in this past year's draft. Uh, I had Brees Hall one, Rashad White two, Kenneth Walker three. In my notes, I also said Bryce uh, – I also said that Brees Hall would have the biggest impact, the quickest. Uh, Kenneth Walker would turn into a phenomenal uh, third down back. But three, four years from now, people are going to look back and Rashad White's going to be the guy. Uh, still raw uh, at the position. Actually was a converted wide receiver. Only was at ASU for two years. One of those was the COVID year. Um, so he has not played a lot of football. So what I don't want is for him to be out there with the – pressure and expectation of this is the savior of the Bucks run game because uh, people think it's the pass protection that suffers when you lose the center and both guards, but it's really the run game. I mean, because the physicality it takes to move another man from a position that he's trying to get into, uh, that, you know, that's the level of professional football that, that kind of goes unnoticed, that kind of separates you know, the great one games from the ones they aren't. If you look at the Kansas City game, go and look at their center and two guards and how they dominated our defensive front. And uh, we're not playing with that level of physicality. And I don't think it's a lack of effort. I just think it's a lack of talent thing with what we're trying to piece together right now. Um, Let me ask you this, and, and sorry for interrupting you here, but I want to get your okay. thoughts. The Bucks just recently made a change at the left guard position. I know it's due to injury with Luke Gedeke not being available, but we saw Nick Leverett start and play the entire game against Baltimore on Thursday night. He was the second highest graded player on the offense that evening for Tampa Bay. So with that being said, he certainly passed the eye test because I thought the run game had looked the best it had in weeks. Those first two drives for Tampa Bay on offense after that second quarter, things kind of fell apart, but Tom Brady throwing the ball 50 times may do that to you. Um, but what do you think about this change at left guard? And do you think that could be the juice that they need? Because Leverett, I know it's only been one game. And, and a common theme we've talked about so far this season is longevity, especially with those younger guys. But do you think that could be the juice that uh, this interior line needs? Because Leverett has been better than Gedeke by a good amount. Well, um, I learned a lot from you. Oh, Rhett, a lot from Evan when he's available and not on out suspended. I don't know what he did the other day, but uh, <laughs> one thing I hope that you guys learn from me is, you know, my opinion when it comes to backup players. And this isn't 100% true, but it's 97.999% true. In short evaluation spurts, a lot of times they look as an adequate replacement. It's very difficult to judge whether the replacement person is capable of playing at a high, high level until we have a larger body of work. So we, I hope never, you know, is like Ali Marpet. We didn't have a lot of expectations for Ali Marpet, and he kind of got a shot. He ran with it. Ended up being, I think, uh, Ali made a Pro Bowl, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was an All-Pro, too. Yeah. yeah, so he ended up far exceeding our expectations. Maybe we get that never. Maybe we don't. Um, but, I mean, when you're in the midst of three and five, I mean, every bright spot 
I mean, it looks like the sun is shining again. So I'm willing to roll with you right on this one. Let's go. Hopefully it ends up working out for Tampa Bay, who is three and five, desperately searching for a win this week. They are back at home, taking on the L.A. Rams, the Super Bowl 56 champions who ended their season last year. It's going to be a four o'clock game on Sunday. It should be a good one. Next time we talk to you guys, it'll be on Friday. It's our game preview show. We'll break down everything you need to know before Bucks Rams that week nine matchup Sunday at 4 p.m. in Raymond James Stadium. With that being said, that's just about going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast with former Bucks quarterback Sean King. Where can the people find you and your awesome content? Uh, find me on Twitter at Real Sean King. Uh, the Twitter page has like everything else, uh, all of the different platforms that I'm on right now. Um, hey, go Bucks, man! We got to get this thing going and headed in the right direction here because uh, when you've been at the pinnacle and the peak. It's tough, man. It's it's like if you got a restaurant in a city that you vacation once every couple of years, and you had a, a great time, and you go back, and it's change management, and yeah. you know the ambiance is different, and the food wasn't as good. Like, come on, Tampa, let's go, <laughs> let's go, baby. Hey, I, I still think there's time. I really do still think there's time. I know that this is the eternal optimist in me, and I'll wrap up with this, but I think. A couple of things with this Bucks team that's going to help them in the long run is that right now they're not in the AFC. Uh, they're not battling these teams that are clearly just, you know, your good teams are good and your bad teams are bad. There's a lot of middle-of-the-road, three, four-win teams that could turn it around and figure it out towards the end of the season. Tampa Bay always in the conversation. And uh, you're always in that conversation when you've got Tom Brady at quarterback. We talked about finding some motivation, finding some accountability, and hopefully finding a leader in the locker room. And Tom's done it before. He's got a lot on his mind this year, but I think to some degree he's going to have to step up and do it over these next few weeks. And he knows that. This locker room knows that. This coaching staff knows that. Hopefully we can uh, see it result in some wins here over the next few weeks as we approach the bye week for Tampa Bay. Um, follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And, of course, Buccaneer News as it happens. Last but not least, you can find myself, Instagram, and Twitter at Reticus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. Like I said, next time you hear from us, it'll be Friday on our game preview show. Should be fun, and uh, expect a special guest for that one because I believe Evan will still be serving his suspension. I'm your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Sean King. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thanks for watching. And go box. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.